When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Alan Davis. You're listening to the Tuesday Club. This is the Arsenal podcast, and I've got Keith Dover with me this afternoon. How are you, Keith? I'm fine, Alan. Absolutely great. Keith has been supporting Arsenal since 1887. That's absolutely correct, Alan. And I have personally delivered every Arsenal manager that's ever been born. And three of our most successful managers were born in a stable, like the baby Jesus. Well, is that really true? It is really true. <laughs> and Damien Harris is here. Hello. Uh, Damien. I didn't realise Keith was a midwife. A midwife? It's all, it's all news to me. I have many talents. Yeah. Talents that you are not aware of. I can only apologise for... Mm. Mis- yeah. For, I can imagine uh, you delivering puppies or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, What's I, I, fascinating about this story is how did you know they were going to be Arsenal manager? I, I, uh. Well, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, but I'm like the three wise kings, but just rolled oh. into one. So, you know, I was see a star, I followed that star, and, you know, yeah. to whoever it was, and I, you know, knocked on the door, and they said, yes, we're having a baby, are you the doctor? And I went, <coughs> yes, and walked in and delivered them. And are you prepared to tell us which of the which Arsenal managers you've delivered? Every one of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, except the, not uh, except Freddie Lundberg, not the interim managers, not the ones. Not the interim one. Not Pat Rice. No, no, no. Stuart, Stuart Houston. Not Stuart Houston. No, none of them. Just the right. proper, Houston. Yeah. Houston. Sorry. Houston, Texas. <laughs> Just the managers that were born, you know, not under contract. You know, a good bony fidey contract. You know. Yeah. None of these cheap ones that you get in, you know, just so, to get to the end of the season. None of them. Bruce Rioch, you did him. Yeah, did him. Yeah, yeah, yeah delivered good. him. George okay. Graham. Don Howe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Don Howe. Yeah, most of them. Herbert Chapman, Tom Whitaker. <laughs> Some of these you know, people, uh, you know, they were born long before you were, but you were you don't, delivered don't them. Don't pick holes in the story, Well, it's got, to, it's got to stand up to some scrutiny. <laughs> well, you did say I've been supporting them since 1867. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, he does have a point. Yeah, you start. Well, that's it. what's known in the, in the trade as a running gag, Keith. It's oh, not, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, what you're funny. doing is just lying. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know that, though. You're just, you know, I, I think you're being harsh. You don't know that. <laughs> you know, well, I hesitate well, to say, Keith, how, how's the lockdown treating you, but I think we're getting an insight. Yeah, it has been a long time, hasn't it? Day 48. <laughs> Keith believes he's the, <laughs> the midwife. to ask the manager. <laughs> well, I see we're more of a Merlin type of figure, you know, that kind of you know, character. Knock on the trip. door and they go, are you the doctor? Yeah, I am. Stepping out of a TARDIS. 
<laughs> who was that mystery man that just delivered our child? I think I've done no. a pretty good job over the years. Really well, they're all, they, all, they all went on to have great success in their chosen field, and that must be something to do with whoever it was yeah. who cut the cord. Act is stranger than fiction, Alan. <laughs> I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can find any facts in, in today's podcast. I'll turn now, if I may, to Damien Harris, who I'm hoping is more in tune with reality. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's the lockdown treating you this week, Dee? Uh, not too bad. Been a bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Uh, medium stressful, but, you know, can't complain too much. No, same for everyone, right? Yeah. Same for everyone. I would point out it's not the same if you haven't got kids <laughs> this is really it, virtually every zoom chat turns into a massive parent moan you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna be lots of perfect murder set up as soon as the lockdown ends where <laughs> i'll kill your kids if you kill mine so <laughs> sort of strangers on a train scenario strangers on zoom uh no well i, I i'm not blessed I don't know whether blessed is the word with kids. Uh, we just have Dennis the cat, who's been Dennis a bit annoying this week. But yeah. Does Dennis go out and sort of taunt you on the way out? No, no, he I've doesn't. sent a thing around saying that the cat just said to me, I'm going out, do you want me to leave the radio one for you? Which I thought was quite a funny joke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? No, he's not done that yet. Still training him. Also, I should point out, listener, we're not on Zoom. It's enough free adverts for Zoom. We're not Zooming at the moment. No. We're on Riverside.fm. FM. That's a free advert for them instead. All the money's pouring into the United States. Do you um, do you do the NHS clapping? We was we've done it in our road every night. Well, not every night, but every Thursday night, and uh, we had a bit of a drink up afterwards. A few of the uh, neighbours, so we had a bit of a couple of hours social distancing in the road. Having what, a nice sort of few- standing in your own front garden, shouting to people. Yeah, well, not in our own front. We got a bit closer than that, but we a little bit of a thong, you know. A, a thong. thong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who was in a thong? Ooh. <laughs> um, you went out in a thong and had a drink in the street with the neighbours. No, no, no. You don't want to see me in a. What sort thong. of a lockdown is this? <laughs> I've seen myself in a thong. It's not a good sight. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> It's really not. <laughs> when did you see yourself in a thong, Keith? Well, when I wore one in the mirror, obviously. You only wore one? Yeah, where, wore where, one. where were you when you put a thong on? In the bedroom. Were, was it, were you in Miss Selfridge? No, I was not in Miss Selfridge. I was not in, you know, any major supermarket. I was in the privacy <laughs> of my own abode. Yeah? And yeah. whose thong was it? Was it one you'd ordered from... Yeah, I believe it was. ...online, no. or was it, did you I just think... in Linda's knicker drawer? No, oh, no, I made that mistake once, never again. <laughs> Stop. You've got your fingers caught in a mouth trap. Oh, no. No, I'll tell you what happened. I squeezed. Oh, no, don't it. stop him, Dee. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I had one of those situations where I'd run out of underpants and I said, listen, I'm not going out in dirty underpants. I listen, I'm not, I'm not doing any laundry. Yeah, no, I just, it was just one of those things, you know. So Linda yeah, said, yeah. listen, wear, wear a pair of mine. And huh? I said, oh, really? Anyway, she had these, like, really sensible... Your, your Linda impression's really coming on, I must say. <laughs> yeah. So she said, wear a pair of mine. <laughs> so I didn't... Crafty little cow she is. She knew what she was doing. So she, it was one of these black tight ones. Lycra. You know, they look like men's pants. But So I put them on. And I'm thinking, what you got to complain about these feel all right? 
But four and a half hours later, I nearly passed out in Oxford Street because they were constraining everything. Right? I had to rush into a shop, buy a pair of pants, go into the changing room, get peel these things off because... If you're in Oxford Street, why don't you just go straight away to get some pants? Well, at the time, they was just felt like a regular pair of pants and then they seemed to get in tighter and tighter and tighter. And, uh, of course, with my face was going white, the blood was draining out of my system, you know. Hey, Linda was killing herself, wasn't she? She was hilarious, you know. Oh, she was with you? Oh, yeah. It was so her pants were all right. Her pants weren't constraining her and making no, her no. face go white. No, she had a regular oh, pair. God. These are these, you know, these pants that hold your buttocks in and stuff, you know. But in my case, it was holding, you know, me thrupneys. Your thrupneys, yeah, your thrupney bits. Well, well, well. <laughs> I, can't, I can't quite believe what I'm hearing. I nearly passed out. So there's a lesson to you all. If you ever have a no-pants situation, go commando. Don't... Under any circumstances where your wife or girlfriend's control underwear, because that was okay. honestly end of the world. Well, that, I enjoyed that anecdote, but I still I want to return, if I may, to, <laughs> to we the thong. To? Well, whose thong was it? I think I ordered it for myself. I, you know, I, you know, I, just, I recall. I don't want to, you know. What year but, are we talking about? When are we going back to? Twenty oh, eighteen or. Yeah, no, no, probably longer than that, maybe 27. It's around about that fear. It's in the 20s anyway, you know. In the 20s? Well, yeah. At some point well, in the last 20 years. Well, it's in the last 10, <laughs> 10 years or so. And, and uh, You've all done the Were thumb. you about to go on holiday? No, no, I thought hmm. I'd just, uh, you, know, you know, see a thong online. I thought well, I'll buy that, you know, see what they're mm-hmm. all fussing about and then put it on. And it looked revolting, you know. It just, yeah, I, I bet did, it did. I, didn't have the physique for it, frankly. You know, it wasn't wasn't comfortable either. I don't know why people no. were. No, <laughs> it, no. So, uh, no, yeah. should we wrap it up there? Because I don't, I I don't think, think we we've only talk. done ten minutes. I think we should do a little bit more. I don't but think I there's think, anything to I, add. I think it's definitely downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got Cat and Elf's chance of topping that. <laughs> Just relaying some information. <laughs> Dennis Bergkamp's first goal for Arsenal or Keith in a thong. I, mean, I remember they're, they're I, too... I knew a girl when I was a teenager and her mum was uh, was divorced and she had an affair with a <laughs> of Ipswich Town. Um, it's probably... Uh, perhaps I shouldn't have said that. Perhaps I should have said... <laughs> no, no, no. I have to cut that Perhaps I out. should have said... Uh, our first division footballer of the time. Oh, I've said it now. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll bleep it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, my friend showed me a photograph that her mum had taken of this uh, first division footballer, England international, wearing a pair of her mum's knickers, pink knickers. Oh. Pink. So, uh, yeah. But I mean, he was magnificent figure. I mean, he was handsome. He had beautiful hair cut with highlights in, and he had an immaculate physique, about six three. So you know, he could carry off. That man could wear any, any, any underwear, any, any, any sort of brief. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas me, on the other hand, you know, <laughs> well, I must stress these were control knickers. You know, these are ones control. That what's that mean? It means that they, they hold your bits in. It's like a lycra, very tight lycra. Sort of like a girdle. Exactly. That's are we talking point. about? Are we talking about a posing pouch? 
No, no, it's like a regular. Is this a posing pouch? No, it's no. a girdle. It's not a girdle. Spanx, it's like a, like spanks. It's like a pair of pants, lycra pants, but they're really tight. And at first, you think, oh, this is all right. But after a few hours, pal, you're going to pass out. Trust me. <laughs> all right. All right, let's get the floor. Oh, oh, right, um, so today, yeah, oh, everything's so dull now. I know what I'm going to say is so boring. Today, uh, I watched a bit of football on uh, where on the BBC website. Oh yeah, right. they showed the South Korean league. Oh, oh really? Which <laughs> which kicked off today, and I and I had it on for a bit. It was nil nil first half, really boring. It reminded me how boring football is, and how much more fun it is just having a chat <laughs> about Keith's pants. Yeah. <laughs> Keith's pants. Uh, empty stadium, of course, but it didn't seem to affect the play. I mean, I, I know people have said if they play Premier League games in empty stadiums, there'll be no atmosphere. It'll be a disaster. But it felt—I don't agree with this idea of playing in neutral grounds. I feel like they've got to somehow organise it so you play your home games and your host only. But anyway, once the game starts and the win bonuses are the same and three points for a win, and if you, you know if you're in the drop zone, you need to get out of it. Those games are going to be competitive and they're going to make for good. TV. I don't think the, the fans not being there. I don't think there's an issue. It is for the fans, obviously, and it is for season tickets. Like, should we have to pay for a season ticket? Um, are the matches going to be free to wear? Any of them, or, or what's going to happen? Principally, you can't give over NHS staff to attend a football match when there are there important things to be done in hospitals. But you know, I could see it working if they could resume playing football uh, maybe in June or July, but it doesn't seem like our infection rate or anything is going down, does it? It seems like we're just as bad as we have been last week and the week before. Well, yeah. I was chatting with some people and they, you know, for years we've been saying, when's the football bubble going to burst? Well, I think it has now. The face of football is going to change. I mean, when we do restart, it will be behind closed doors. Players' contracts will have gone down. Lack of revenue. The TV companies are not going to put as much money in, so the players won't be paid as much. And the day of the tourist fan is over. You can forget that. So the ticket prices should drop so those locals can get in when they do open the doors again. But I think the foot, way football is, is totally changed now. It's totally changed. It's not going to go back to how it was, like in my opinion. It depends on how long before we can all go to a stadium together, mm. I think. Because I, I can't see it. Can you see it this year? No, I think what will happen is the games will be on TV and everyone will be going around each other's houses and and, uh, and watching games on TV and getting some cans in and it'll be like the World Cup when it was in Japan or something, you know. There was talk of computerised um, fans. So sort of a bit like on FIFA, they will have uh, like fans sort of like put on into the stadium. That could be quite interesting. Mm. I, I did hear that, that they might project images of fans onto the seats or some... Could, yeah, or is that just volu- for television? I don't know. Can we volunteer? Can you volunteer to be one of the fans? Then get replicated sort of... I like think 100. you just have. I think you've yeah, just okay. actually done it. There you go. <laughs> I, I can shout out at whatever lieutenant the opposition team have got because they always tend to annoy me yeah they do the the number twos are the most annoying aren't they yes where's the match day i think we were due to play we're recording this listener on uh uh, may the uh friday may the 8th and we were due to play aston villa away tomorrow arsenal that is um 
And that was a crucial match for Villa. And then we got Watford next week and a crucial match for Watford. They're all down there fighting against relegation. So games we've got to come up behind closed doors. Well, there's Leicester and uh, Tottenham and Liverpool. Some, there's some good matches. Yeah, they won't play the cup games, though, will they? Surely the FA Cup's null and void now. They must. Can't see why they would. Why would you play that? Would you play the cup final at empty Wembley Stadium? I don't know. You know. I don't know. I don't know. But you I would think. Don't know. I mean, we're asking these questions that you would think somebody in the football authorities would be coming out with some kind of statement, but there's nothing really coming out other than the neutral grounds. That's the only thing. You feel like you could do the cup in a week, right? You'd have the quarterfinals at the weekend, semi-finals midweek, final the following weekend. Yeah. Get that over and done with. Hmm. Mm. We're still in it, so I'm all for that co- <laughs> for that going ahead. Yeah. As soon Who's as we, we get got? knocked out by Sheffield United, I don't care. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, no one knows. I mean, that's the problem. Those briefings that they have, and everyone gets frustrated when everyone asks, "Why is everyone just asking the same question about when are you going to ease the lockdown?" But this is the problem. No one in football knows. No one knows how long this is going to go on. So it's hard and it's all just speculation at the moment, I feel. Yeah, it feels daft to be talking about it in some ways, doesn't it? But if you're not, if you're sitting in your house, if you're not a health service worker, if you haven't got COVID-19 or you don't know anyone who has, which is the overwhelming majority of people in the country, the whole situation feels bizarre. Mm. People really are bouncing off the walls now, and they're gagging to get outside. Mm. Ice cream vans are roaming around North North London at the moment, so there's, oh. a, there's a hint of, hint of a rebellion. That's where it started. The ice cream, <laughs> <laughs> the ice cream van men said, I've had enough of this. It's a hot bank holiday weekend. I'm going to take yeah. thousands of quid here. This is the biggest ice cream selling weekend of the year, and they can't. Yeah, but one has been spotted. How is it sort of round Hampstead Heath and all that? Well, there's a lot of people on the Heath. There's a lot of joggers leaving. Uh, I'm told a five meter plume of uh, behind them as they go past. Don't go and get in the jet stream of a jogger. <laughs> <laughs> You'll catch whatever. It's come snorting up to you. God, mm. run up and down the stairs. Stay in and do it. Why do you have to run round out here when we're trying to take the kids? The kids go in all directions. It's very difficult yeah. to socially distance them unless you rope them together somehow. Just not a bad idea. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad idea at all. Now, I've uh, I've uh, opened up the Tuesday Club uh, email uh, box and... Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's as dull as it ever was, to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, don't, yeah, don't uh, hold back, will you, Al? Just tell it as it is, yeah. Uh, but it's nice for people to email us. You can email us on uh, tuesdayclubpodcast.gmail.com. What we're doing when in lockdown is we're looking back at on this day, um, the day that we record, so that's May the 8th today, so later on we'll be talking about May the 8th, 1971, 1993 and 2002. Three good uh, Arsenal wins on those days. And also we'll be looking back at the 95-96 season. Uh, if you've got a season you'd like us to look back at, we're tending to, we're tending to look for the forgotten season. Um, we'll be doing, doing plenty of talk about times that we won the double and that sort of thing. Obviously, we do like to remember those or when we were invincible and so on. But if there's a season you think, oh, I know that one. 
Um, Anil Kanner has, has emailed me. It's so good to have you in the game back. You see, that's what we want. Now, I work in the hotel sector and it's been very tough. Uh, and I recall being, you being in front of me at Leeds v Arsenal away. That's the sort of email I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you don't recall him being behind you? That's... I don't remember that. You don't remember Does anyone that? know the song Birdhouse in Your Soul? I thought they might be giants. Oh, yeah. It... I don't know the tune, you see. Oh, Someone sent me a song about... Song. That's it. They've changed it to Burnt House in Your Soul for Burnt Leno. Oh. There's a German in the gloves under the North Bank who keeps clean sheets for you. Make a little burnt house in your goal. Ah, <laughs> Not to put a fine point in it. Check under press could cause you to vomit. Some... <laughs> Yeah, I, I can always point out a few where, where this is song's going wrong. <laughs> well, I always thought that um, Gino by Dexy's Midnight Runners should just be given to uh, oh, Bert Lino. Very oh, good. Lino. Da, 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 Lino. Da, 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 da. In my years of trying to get an Arsenal song going, I've learned that it's more simple the better. Yeah, the simple. Uh, that's what works. Uh, there's a song, uh, <laughs> uh, Lick Steiner, just to the tune of Lick Thamba by Bob Marley. There's an option for you to try at home. <laughs> and to, uh, to Ricky Martin's She Bangs. Oh, bam, me yang. Oh, baby, when he moves, he moves. We go crazy oh, when yeah. he scores lots of goals and he's number 14. He's six foot three and he's Gabonese. Uh, don't worry, I will never email you again. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Rob Furyard, who says, uh, Viva El Presidente. Um, uh, Today is going to be the day that we're going to have to play Giroud. He's laying claim to that. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Very good. That's good. Today is going to be the day that we're going to have to play Giroud. I do remember that from from back in the day. Uh, Daniel Higgs... Daniel Higgs Matzner, I don't know what, this is a long name. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, during the last pod, you mentioned your emails were light. So, in 2012, I enjoyed the He's Not in the Fiesta podcast. Um, so, for the current team, Arteta is driving, Saka and Martinelli are in the car. Who else makes the Fiesta? That's quite a good question, actually. Oh, if you could, if you could yeah. gut the squad, who who would you call? Hull. Can you remember any of the players? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, we play red, don't we? We, we play with white red sleeves. with yeah. white sleeves. Okay. Uh, Leno is still in, I think. Bellerin Le- will keep. Tierney yeah. will keep. Socrates? Yeah. No. I, I like his shithousery. <laughs> I mean, he's he just cheats every time he has any physical he's contact. Just... He's either trying to bring them down and make it look like he fell over or he's diving. He's such a cheat. He's such a I quite like his, uh, he will run through a wall for you. There's a bit of Martin Keown about him. He's got some physical courage. Past. I don't think yes. he's in Keown's league. I really don't. Really no, don't. no. I don't think but, he's in but, Keown's league at all. But no, I know what I, you mean I, about the sort of physical craziness. Yes, there's a men- mentalness about what him. What about when he gets, if he gets a whack, he rolls around writhing in like he's injured and he's been shot. And he's a centre-off. 
I can't. I will take you back to Terry Butcher with a blood-soaked bandage. Yeah, when you did say, run for a wall, do you mean what, made of Rice Krispies? That kind yeah. of wall. That's the wall you a meant. Paper, you didn't mean an actual wall. brick wall. Lego, <laughs> no, Rice Krispies, I, I, paper mache. You try and get the wall sent off. Yeah. Maybe a yeah, polystyrene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, we can't leave the club anyway until one of us has learned how to say Papastathopoulos, which I've never yeah. always struggled with. What about Danny Ceballos? I, it, there may be a £40 million price tag attached to him or something, because we've, we've got him on loan, haven't we, from Real Madrid for this season. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do we, do we, would you want to buy him? Do you think there's enough end product? It strikes me that he, he was a long time out, wasn't he, this season? Missed a lot of football. But when he came back, Arteta gave him a go, just at the point when he said he might be off it so often seems to work that yeah. and he'd started to look quite good do you think I so yeah. if you're not looking convinced I'm not seeing the 40 million if we got it out to 20 I'd maybe go 15 I'd go yeah okay let's take a chance but I'm not seeing 40 million player there that's that's my problem he, uh, you know, I just mm. wanted to see a bit more a bit more class but there was a there was a game quite early wasn't there where he played and was exceptional mm. and you thought, I know everyone was writing, uh, you know, right, let's buy him now, give them the money, we've got to get him. And then he sort of fizzled out a little bit, didn't he? And I don't know yeah. whether it was a knock. He did get an injury. He's been more promising. I, I, I He's busy, like, isn't he? I mean, he likes to get on the ball. He demands the ball a lot. He retains yeah. possession quite well. He's certainly of the sort of standard I would like to see in our midfield. Yes, yes, but um, it's just a price tag. I'm not seeing forty million, but he is a good player. But he's, I, I, I think forty million at the well, pre-COVID rates, yeah, wouldn't be too. I don't think would be too bad. Well, do I you mean, think we a, should send send him back, and we should concentrate on Maitland Niles, and... Smith Rowe, Reese Nelson, the homegrown kids who are just trying to get in the side aren't they and, a, and a, an expensive Spanish import can get in their way well I would I would stick with the youngsters and especially now with all these games behind it's going to be lot the pressure's not going to be on on that much so I think this would be a very good time to bed in uh, our ungrown players yeah and realistically it's, it's a, Real Madrid can't come to us and say we want 40 million we're going to say we, go, we can't pay the wages at the moment we haven't got 40 million so you'll have to go back to Spain anyway won't you mm, yeah. yeah I mean it's a funny one Willock like beginning of the season Joe Willock I was really quite excited by and then he's he sort of I felt he dropped off and he's had a few chances that he sort of missed hasn't he I don't know how you how you sort of feel well, about it he's a massive talent isn't he a huge yeah. talent but I agree, his form is in and out. But then he was in and out the side. Until you feel confident that you've got a shirt and you're playing regularly, it's quite difficult for young players to break in. But that's that's the first, that's the barrier. That's what you've got to overcome. I do remember doing a Q and A thing with Arsene Wenger once and a couple of the old players, and he said to them about being a young player. He said, "You know what it's like when you first go in the dressing room and you're a, you're a young player. No one helps you. No one talks to you." And they laughed. And all the, the brutality of the, the reality of the first team, of having your shirt and having some kid who wants it, it's, that's the, ter- the first test in football, is are you mentally tough enough to yeah. displace someone? That's the thing that Fabricas had from the get-go. He, he, felt, he didn't seem to be phased at all by the fact that he was competing with Vieira and Gilberto Silva for a place in the first team. Yeah. And Willock, he did put him in 
Ozil's role, didn't he? He played him at number 10. He seems to have a lot of attacking talent. He scored an amazing goal in that stupid five-all draw at Liverpool, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. I, I believe they have got the talent. And I think some of the senior players should be looking at themselves. Because don't forget, these guys, young guys have been playing in an Arsenal team, which is not very good. And it's the senior ones who have let the younger ones down, I think. You know? it, it, I think it depends on what Arteta is looking at and thinking, right. Yeah. You know, is Xhaka the standard that we, you know, we need? He's, I mean, he's a funny one. There's a, you know, when he's good and his passing is regular and the metronome idea, the sort of Xhaka on form mm. and playing properly. But we want to be better than that, don't we? Surely yeah, I think we, we do. Want, and what you're not seeing step. with Granite Xhaka is you're not really seeing a... a Strides of improvement. It's not. I feel like he's the same player that he was when he turned up. Yeah. What about? Uh, I'm just going through by squad numbers. That's why I've got to, from Socrates to Ceballos. Uh, moving on to Lacazette. If we get an offer, should we sell Lacazette? Ooh. You know, I, I, I like Lacazette, and the reason he does put in a shift, and even though in games when he hasn't scored, he does work hard, and there's something about a man. I, I feel that you know, when we talk about lack of characters. I do think he has, he has got character. I would like yeah. to keep him, but I also want to keep Aubameyang as well. And I don't actually think Aubameyang's going to be going anywhere because I can't see any big transfer deals being done unless they're on a free transfer, of course. You know. Well, he's got a year left, hasn't he? And in a situation where we can only really spend money if we raise money, mm. he's the obvious one, really, isn't he, to... You might get 30 mil, but I'd be absolutely sick if they sold him to Manchester United. I certainly hope that doesn't oh, happen. Would we God. get 30 mil? I mean, we're in a precarious position. I'm sure Barcelona and Madrid are not exactly... Uh, their funds have gone down. Well, the thing is about that fee is that man is 25 goals a season, guaranteed, isn't he? That guaranteed, wherever he goes, whatever league, whoever he's playing for. So that's what you're buying. That's what you're putting into your goals for column next season. So you probably would get that for him. What about Mesut Ozil? Do you think he's just going to run his contract down? His wages are so astronomically high. He's shown by the fact that he's not prepared to take a wage cut, even though the club's got no income at all. I'm told that our club suffers more than most by the lack of matchday revenue because our matchday revenue is very high. Mm. Um, he's obviously just wants to keep keep getting paid that amount of money until the gravy train runs out and only then will he think about moving really and no one's going to take the contract on I'm t I was reading today that Mkhitaryan's at Roma and Roma would quite like to take him permanently but if they, even then they want us to pay some of his wages <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's on 180 grand a week Mkhitaryan how does that ever happen Ivan, yeah. was it Ivan, Ivan Gazidis who come up with these great transfer and contract deals I mean it's just yeah, but that's what it was. That's what it was then. I mean, now... It, seems, well, it seemed like madness then, though, didn't it? Yes, very much. It, but, but Mkhitaryan was... Yeah, I mean, Mesut was, but they. it felt like we were... We didn't really have much choice, did we? If we had lost Ozil and Sanchez at that point... This was after we'd already lost Van Persie a couple of years before. Well, right? yeah. they, didn't want to, they didn't want that to happen again. Yeah. Mesut started playing well. They gave him the bumper contract. Well, it was the Sanchez wanting to leave and Ozil wanting to leave. And it, we, we couldn't let both of them go. 
Uh, but the moment uh, Sanchez got his, his money and his move to Man U, his form went through the floor. Mm, the moment Urzel got his money and got his three fifty week, he stopped playing. Mm. And you feel like we'd signed a couple of mercenaries there. Yeah. It's a real shame. They were fantastic for a couple of seasons. They really were brilliant. You know, when, when we won the cup in twenty fifteen, when we won the cup in twenty seventeen, it was really those guys who were doing it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, it, 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 again, it all depends on whether Arteta is just going to go, let's start again. And he's got that opportunity. I think he can... You feel you like know, you, you feel like if you just played the kids, you could still finish ninth? I think in the current climate, I, would, I wouldn't I would say that's... Uh, yeah, I'd say that was possible. I really... I think we could... I think we could do well. I think we've got to keep the balance. We've got to keep some of that. What you were talking about, Lacazette, he brings a certain fight and muscle. I mean, yes, his form has been pretty bad these last few months. Is he in the fiesta? <sighs> He's not in my fiesta. Is not he not? your fiesta. Not, not in this season's form. No. What about, is a player that we could possibly sell if we wanted to raise some money? Because he hasn't been totally convincing in the Premier League. And maybe he might be happier in another league is Lucas Torreira. Yes, he's full man's dipped and he doesn't score. He's got a good reputation in Italy. We might get a transfer fee for him. I, I'd be poor, a little poor bit old Damien. You love all Arsenal <laughs> players, and you can't bear, you can't bear them to be they, anything other not, than wonderful. But some of them, are frankly, are, are mercenaries. <laughs> no, no, he's got a tattoo and everything, hasn't he? <laughs> What player has affected you the most when they left? Really upset you when they went to another club? And what Liam Brady. Liam Brady. For me, it was Charlie George to Derby County. I, I was bereft. I couldn't get over that at the time. You know, as a kid, mm. it's just like you open up the paper. He's gone where? <laughs> it was shocking that wasn't it? And so was Ray Kennedy going to Liverpool. It was yeah. shocking they let those boys go. Oh, and um, Alan Sunderland as well. Uh, not Alan Sunderland, Frank Stapleton. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was, Stapleton. Uh, that was a hard. Um, I, well, my worst one was probably Sesk. Mm. Losing but Sesk, it was a yeah. slightly delayed thing because when he went to Barcelona, you could kind of see it at the time. It was his boyhood club, all of that. And you could sort of understand the romance of it. But then coming back and going to Chelsea. But he wanted to come back to us. He contacted. I know. That, that actually mm. hurt more than the fact that we did not take up that. That was, just, that was just stupidity not buying him back. It was just stupidity. That, similarly, with not buying Nicholas and Elka back when he was at Bolton. Absolutely. All, all the fans can see it, but there's some problem in the club. They won't have these guys back. Wenger's in charge, and that was that. But Seth Fabregas, yeah. he had no problem when he left. We all understood. He'd been at the club since he was 15. He'd been in this country. Blimey, I'm surprised. He, had, he probably had to learn Spanish just to get back out there, you know. <laughs> and he did stay another year after the World Cup. We all thought it was going to be Jack and Aaron Ramsey, didn't we? But it didn't quite work as a pair, those two, somehow. Well, yeah. Jack was always injured, so it's never going to happen. Well, both of them yeah. as well. Yeah. Ram, Ram, I saw Ramsey might go to Man United. That would be... That was oh, always going to happen. No. He was going to go to Italy on a free. He, they were going to try him for a year, and then they were going to sell him for 30 or 40 million. They, that's what they do. That's how they operate. He was always going to come back to the Premier League. I could never see it working for him out there. Mm. You, you sometimes wonder at the Arsenal. 
who is actually in charge? Is it some blokes with a straw in their mouth going, oh, let's get a duke deal today. I tell you what, we'll give old Ramsey, we'll offload him for Juventus on a free. That's a good idea. What? I mean, where, are they, where are they from again, Keith? Oh, I, don't, I can't, I'm having troubles placing the accent. Well, some general yokel from out okay. London, you know. Oh, that, just, your generic yokel accent, well, that was right. You know, they're meant to be astute businessmen, for Christ's sake. I mean, you always, the Arsenal propaganda machine, oh, we've got all these people in place and they're experts in their field and they've got a PhD in this and an honours degree in that. And then you read, oh... Really? Oh, Ramsey's gone on a free. Oh, he's got a contract of a two million pound a week. It's just ridiculous. Were you not excited by the signings of Cedric Suarez and uh, Pablo Mari? Who? <laughs> could you? I know. Could you? Could, would you have known he'd walk past them in the street if you? <laughs> no. No. What do you think about Nicolas Pepe? What do you make of Nicolas Pepe? I think he will come good. I. Just, I think Arteta's going to get the best out of him. I really do. You, you have to apply the Pires formula to him and hope that second season, yeah, you know, it's all going to come good. Overmars took six months, didn't he? And then it clicked. Yeah, Perez the first season slightly passed him by, but the second season he was footballer of the year. Don't forget, yeah. don't forget he's come in. He, we've lost the the previous manager, and he so he's come into a bad team, a bad manager. Now things are starting to turn. Yeah, he's definitely one thing. I tell you, the one thing about Lacazette that drives me a bit mad is he loves to take free kicks, and he loves to take a free kick from the edge of the box. He scored an absolute beauty against Napoli in the Europa League run. And uh, and actually, what everyone on the ground wants is for Pepe to take them. Mm. Yeah, Pepe got those two against was it Vittoria? It had, I mean, extraordinary free kicks. Yeah, his dead ball delivery, his corners are brilliant. He's really got something with a dead ball. That's his biggest asset at the moment. His dribbling's a bit chaotic, and he does have a bit of a habit of getting the ball under his foot when it receives it, and waiting to see what un- happens. And what happens in the Premier League is you get smashed <laughs> and you lose it. Mm. Yeah, so he's got to learn a one and two touch game. He likes to just carry, he likes to get the ball and move around with it, and he's got to learn to. If you watch Bergkamp, one and two touch all day long. You'd never get yeah. caught in possession. But I uh, I think he would benefit. I don't think him and Ozil have quite clicked. And this is one of the things again with the Arteta regime, if you will. I think we've got to work on the flow and the movement and there's those little triangles and those little relationships that need to improve. And I don't think he's had that quite Pepe hasn't had that person you remember when our left hand side was uh, Ashley Cole Perez and Thierry Henry rings a bell yeah remember that Uh, and I I don't that's what you hope a relationship will sort of start on that side and I don't think that's quite happened and I think that's something Arteta will be working on so we've got Pepe, Martinelli and Saka. We've got some talent in the wide positions. We need to decide which strikers gonna, they're going to play either side of. And are we going to have a number 10 behind? I don't know. This doesn't look... There's, it's not... I'm looking at the squad and this is not... I can't make a championship winning 11 out of this squad. I really can't. There's no. too many square pegs in round holes. It feels like half of them are playing out of position. What's the midfield combo that's really going to boss a game? Is going to go to Liverpool or Man City and take over? We need three or four midfielders, if you ask me. A couple of centre-backs. <laughs> yeah. Good luck, good luck, everyone. All we've got is tricky wingers. I think at best we would have had a cup run this year. 
and maybe squeezed into top four with the current. Well, we're having the cup run, aren't we? We're in the quarterfinals and it's over. I don't think we're going to make top four. I really can't, you know, this is too, it was too far back. I don't know. We started to get a bit of momentum and we started to see something. There was green shoots. I mean, I think the win at Bournemouth in the FA Cup, that we see a fairly good display there and I just started to see little seeds develop. But, I don't know. So so far, so far in the in the fiesta, we've got uh, Aubameyang, Hector Bellerin, and Kieran Tierney. You like the goalie? Yep, I think Bird's very good. He's taken some criticism, but he's, he's you know on the whole, he's not made any big howlers. I think there was one in the Europa League with the when they scored. No, uh, I, was I, a don't think, that I think that caused us to be knocked out. Yeah. I think Leno is a solid keeper, up to standard. Yeah. yeah. And a shout out for Callum Chambers because Callum Chambers was uh, was our best defender until he suffered that injury, which is a bit heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. Well, Rob Holding's another one. Yeah. Do you remember he came back for a game? And... Rob Holding, you know he's better than Cannavaro. <laughs> Rob Holding, you know he is a bit forgotten man, isn't he, Big Rob? When you consider he he was fantastic in the cup final against Chelsea, wasn't he, Rob Holding? I mean, yeah, I, mean, oh, I would like him head. and Chambers at centre back. Really, I think we, we could have something there. And this is why I've got a lot of faith in Arteta. I think he can see that too. I, uh, Holding came back. There was a game earlier this season, maybe a cup game, and Holding just looked um, a bit terrified. His distribution, his on the ball, and that's something that could be worked on. But I I would love it. I would. Really like him to make it. I think, uh, as you say, that game against Chelsea, pointing his head with uh, that little tussle with Diego Costa was brilliant. Yeah. And the mentality... That was amazing, that and game. Think... Murtisacker had played half a game all season. And yeah. he went into a bat five and uh, had the most fantastic match, didn't he, per Murtisacker? Incredible match against Costa. Oh, he gave 120 I mean, we actually should have easily won. Did Oxley Chamberlain play left wing back in that game? Am I remembering that rightly? Yes, with Nacho did. Monreal as part of a back three with Holding and Mercer. That's right. And uh, it was um, oh, who's the player that's left us? Willie Young? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, the, he, he was the guy, Andy Linnigan. The guy who scored in the semi final against uh, no, not the semi in the quarterfinals against uh, Man United, ex Man United. Welps. Yes. Danny he was absolutely brilliant in that cup oh, final. Man, man absolutely match. brilliant. Yeah. And he hit the post, didn't he? I wish that had gone in. Yeah. Superb, Danny Welbeck. But that's uh, um, <laughs> We can't remember 2017. And I'm going to challenge you now uh, to come with me as we try and recall the 1995 96 season. Oh, what a, <laughs> what a fabulous that We're going to do that. But before we sort of talk about it, there was one game that happened right at the end of the 95 96. Was the was the the season that Bruce Riot was the manager? Twenty five years ago, Bruce Riot had been a very bright manager at Bolton uh, Bolton Wanderers, and they played some good football. They were an exciting side, and he came in to Arsenal, and maybe it never quite it wasn't quite a fit. He didn't have a connection with the club, did he? We'd had all the scandal with George Graham the year before, and losing his job, and then uh, and then in came Riot. Moved us to a back three and fell out with Ian Wright. Mm, we thought but Wright was going to go. Before the season started, he made, you know, arguably the greatest signing in Arsenal's post war history when he signed Dennis Bergkamp from 
Inter Milan, where he had had two oh. disappointing years. And, and David yeah. Platt as well. We got David Platt. David Platt came in as well. We also had, we still had Merson uh, and Wright. And of course, we had all of the uh, the bat five: the Seaman, Dixon, Winterburn, Adams, both. Martin Keown played a lot of games that season. Martin Keown played quite a lot of games in defensive midfield that season. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. You know, we were talking. You were talking about um, Emery. Uno, I almost forgot his name. Uno Do Emery. My, yeah. Um, and that lack of respect for him. You look at that. You look at our team, and what that team had been through. And how much that team was still drinking. Yeah. No wonder it's hard <laughs> to come in and, you know, what do you do? Well, you're absolutely right, Damien, because he, he was also brought in to try and stop the big drinking culture that had emerged. So, yeah. well, it wasn't just drinking. I think there was a lot of other things and just general discipline had gone to rack and ruin at the club. And he was sort of made out, he was a sort of a dis slightly a disciplinarian was he army connected or something like that i don't know why but maybe he had a military, he i'd say he had a military bearing yes let's go for a military bearing <laughs> and um you know what do you do with that what do you do with a, a squad that is probably two or three years over you know all those things it had gone through and won together but a lot of the a lot of the idea that that squad was past it and was no good and it actually was was roundly disproved, wasn't it? Because the following year, Arsene Wenger turned up and turned them all around. He, he, yeah. His big problem, I think, was he couldn't get on with Wrighty, and Wrighty didn't like him and couldn't see eye to eye. He made Wrighty captain at one point, which is an extraordinary choice. Yeah, this is a bloke who just spends a whole game getting booked, <laughs> falling out with everyone, and arguing with the ref. All, yeah. he wants, all he's thinking about is the goal. It, it's not that. He's not the man. Yeah, for well, that it's role, a bit, it's a bit like um, Vardy with Puel at Leicester. Do you remember when? You yeah, know, and that, there was that sort of player power, mm. and uh, I think Vardy and Wrighty have certain sort of s- similar character traits in there. I think. But you know what's interesting yeah, about that do. season? We may have kept Bruce Rioch, but we got knocked out by Villa on the away goals rule in the League Cup. Now, let's really say, for instance, yeah. would have made the final and won that. Then they would have kept Bruce Rioch. Probably Wrighty would have gone. And Arsene Wenger would never have come to our club. So, thankfully, mm. you know, by losing to Villa on the away goal, that was uh, done us a big... That was an absolute signal. I do remember that. We were 2 nil up at Highbury in the first leg. Yep. This was played on Valentine's Day, 1996, and with two goals from Dennis Bergkamp. And then Dwight York scored... And then Dwight Law equalised with about 20 minutes to go and suddenly it's 2-2. And you never quite know with the League Cup whether away goals count double or not. Every time it happens, is there extra time? Is there away goals? No one seems to know what the rules are. But I do. I remember I went up to Villa Park for the second leg and uh, it was a pretty grim nil-nil. We couldn't score. Uh, Merson was probably our best player at that time. Uh, Burkamp was beginning to show it. And we, lo- and we lost, we went out and we, we went out in the cup to Sheffield United after a draw at home, we lost in a replay, so it was just all a bit disappointing, the only real highlight of the season was in the, in the last game when Burkamp smashed in that wonder goal against Bolton that got us into the UEFA Cup Yeah I mean, I, uh, it, it, uh, It's important to remember the last game previously, uh, before that season had been the Zaragoza game in Paris, hadn't it? Ugh. Yeah 
So we yeah. had that to sort of oh, yeah. deal with. Deal with, yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. Did you two go to that? <laughs> yeah. We did go to that, oh, yeah. I went to oh, that as well. that is just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> came out the ground. Oh. Did we come out the ground? Decent. Absolutely gutted. And I, I vaguely remember Simon wanting something to eat when he came out <laughs> the ground. And I was thinking, how can you eat? Kelsa, how can you eat at a time like this? Can't, can't leave a football ground without walking immediately to the nearest burger van. And they wouldn't let us on the metro, so we had to walk miles to a metro station that was open. Then we got on the metro and the, the train was full of tear gas. So then we got off it and we were Patrick, weren't we? And we said, to yeah, him, we we're going to go to an Irish bar. Do you remember that? And he goes, oh, it won't be open. Mm, it was. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's Stone, you came in at two o'clock in the morning going, where were you? You should have come to the Irish bar. It was brilliant. <laughs> It's an absolute disaster, that trip. Oh, it was. I ended up in a gay club called Queen's. Right yeah. What an unusual yeah, name for a gay club. I know. <laughs> uh, we, we, I was working for Skint and Loaded. Skint had just, was just starting and uh, Loaded, the sort of other label that we ran, had we had signed some French blokes and uh, they were doing a launch party and they said, oh, do you want to come to Paris for this launch party? He said, yeah, what date? <clears throat> Only the same date as the, the uh, final. So, um, yeah. So within half an hour of Naeem... Oh, oh don't. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, was, I was on poppers and uh, in, in some control pants. I, no, I was not in control <laughs> pants. Uh, Damien, I listened to the first podcast and when were you celebrated the win in New York? You was in a gay club there. Isn't there a theme running that every time you see us away from home or you happen to be, and then drugged out your brain? By, it's, no, no. Um, not in New York? Or was I a mistake? No, that wasn't particularly a gay club. Um, a bit 50-50. No. Until you turned up. Oh, <laughs> yay. Now, memorable matches in that season. This was memorably the season, 95-96, when uh, Alan Hansen said you can't win anything with kids, wasn't it? Was it that year? I think it was, yes. And, uh, and, and of course, United then went on and won the double. But we did beat Manchester United at Highbury. Dennis Bergkamp scored in a 1-0 win. And quite a lot of games... I mean, Man City away, for example, with Ian Wright scored in the 90th minute. It did make me think, yet again, as I know I always say it, that we should have kept him for the 99 season because we would... Definitely have won the league. I, I remember Bergkamp arriving. The first, the thing I really remember about Bergkamp, a ball got played out to the right-hand side. We were down in our seats at the front of the West Lower and it looked like it was going out of play and he jumped up and he kind of caught it on the top of his boot with his right foot and then when he landed, the ball was still on his right foot and then he just sort of play, put it down on the grass gently while he worked out what he was going to do with it. It was the most spectacular piece of ball control I had ever seen in my life. And bearing in mind that we'd been witness to two league title winning sides and one European Cup Cup and had some wonderful footballers, you know, like Rocky. Paul Merson was a fantastic talent. But this guy was another level. Mm. Nowadays, the technical level of the Premier League, you kind of take it for granted that all these kids... I mean, look at Ainsley Maitland-Niles. What an incredibly gifted talent he is. Everything he does is a dummy. So so many feints and dummies that he can pull off. But when Bergkamp arrived, it was another mm. level. And all they ever said about him was that he was relentless in practice, like an absolute perfectionist. Nothing was ever good enough. 
he'd be out on the training pitch. There's a story that Van Persie tells about finishing training, going to have a soak in the bath because he had a he had a massage, had a bit of a muscle injury or something, and he could see from where he was having a soak in the bath, he could see out the window onto the training pitch, <laughs> and on the training pitch was Dennis Bergkamp with two teenagers from the youth team doing some shooting drill. And, what, and he said he watched him and watched him and watched him, thinking he's going to make a mistake in a minute. There's going to be a shot that's inaccurate. There's going to be a pass misplaced. And there never was. Wow. Just, the, the guy was an absolute perfectionist. And if you watch Bergkamp's... I think he got 120 goals for Arsenal. And, and you can see them all back-to-back. There's probably a DVD or maybe it's on YouTube anyway. Every single finish for his entire Arsenal career was precise and elegant. There's not a single stabbed, scuffed off his arse, <laughs> one that hit him on the nose and went in the top corner, a header that actually hit him on the shoulder. There's barely even a deflected shot. And yeah. if he thought the shot might get deflected, he wouldn't take it. Mm. Yeah. The, the most ex- extraordinary player. But I, I, that, I, it's so stuck in my memory, that moment when he pulled that ball down and we knew we would... It's like he caught it with his hand. Who did we... Yeah. when he scored the first two goals at home because a lot Southampton because he'd taken a lot of stick I think it had been six games he hadn't scored I remember one of the tabloids they'd done a goal and it said there you are Dennis this is where you have to shoot and he was getting a lot of flack from the tabloids <laughs> and then yeah. and then it was Southampton and he scored two perlers that was, yeah. stunning goals first one was yeah. a smashed in off the post and the other one was a volley brilliant goals yeah, but he, even that goal against Man United when the and it's just a tap in, but Schmeichel's coming out to him, and you're you're absolutely right. Every go, when you see where he should put the ball, and every time he puts the ball there, and it, even that just that deft little touch, it's just oh phenomenal. It's extraordinary. He wasn't really bought as a goal machine, was he? he was there was more to him? But I do remember a game. Just before, we played a few matches and we we were drawing matches, and we played Forest at Highbury and we'd sold Kevin Campbell that summer um, to to Forest, and he scored an equaliser in that game and we were starting to think oh have we done the right have we done the right thing but once um, once Wrighty and Bergkamp really clicked and I think it was a, an away game at Leeds as a famous goal where they played a couple of one twos and then Wrighty chipped John Lukic. Once they clicked, he really did start to shine, didn't he? He was a, he was an extraordinary footballer. He, 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 I mean, he was very clinical, and this is what Ian Wright says and the, about Aubameyang. As good as Aubameyang is, he misses a lot of sitters. And where someone like Bergkamp and Ian Wright will go, that's going in, I'm going to watch that ball when it crosses the line. Aubameyang, sometimes he's hit it, he's already turned in to celebrate, and then, no, he's missed it. He's not as clinical as Burkamp and Ian Wright. He hasn't. He's good, but he's missed some sitters as well, crucial ones. Yeah, yeah. Right. He uh, could get more goals than he does, Aubameyang. Uh, that's true. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's part of his disposition to be fiercely angry about missing, missing chances. I remember a go- another game. I remember that season. I went to Barnsley in the League Cup, and uh, we won three 0 and. It was an open terrace at that at that end at that time at Barnsley, and that is the wettest I've ever been at a football match. It rained torrentially for the entire match, and I, I just remember it being quite fun. It just got ridiculous, you know. There was water on the pitch, 
and Pete was shouting. I remember a bloke going, kick it up the shallow end, which is my favourite. <laughs> but then someone else, someone else goes, bring a sub on. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Another, a bit of terrorist humour. Now, at the end of that season, uh, Paul Merson, the year before, had uh, famously oh. had his had his breakdown and uh, he was yeah, drinking and gambling habits. And yeah. I don't know if you remember, but he was out for a while and then we played AC Milan in the Super Cup. And uh, we'd lost out there, but we had a goalless draw, I think, at Highbury and Merson came back in that game, and it was quite a return for him. He'd been, oh, I don't know where, at the Priory or something. The following season, there was a Paul Merson testimonial match that at that? Arsenal. Did you go to yeah, it? Yeah, I was at that game, yeah. yeah. Paul Gaskell. I went played. to that as well. The Arsenal team was uh, David Seaman, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Andy Linnigan and Tony Adams. So, pretty solid back four. The midfield was Paul Gascoigne, Glenn Hoddle <laughs> and David Platt. It was like an England legends midfield. And uh, and then up front, there was Bergkamp, Merson and Wright. It was a hell of a side. Mm. It was a very, yeah. very good side. And, uh, of course, the players with the Tottenham connection got booed all over the field. Um, but the other team was an international eleven. The international eleven featured um, Graham Ricks and... David O'Leary, but also Chris Waddle, Charlie Nicholas was there, Matt, Matt Letizia, Kanchelskis, Hullet played, Ray wow. Wilkins and Billich. I mean, quite a, a turnout for Merce, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, the game finished 8-5. And what I remember about the game was Gascoigne. That's really what he... Merce scored two goals. Wright, he could not score and could not be the star of the show. And I remember Gazza going up and telling him to keep his chin up, like tapping him on the bottom of the chin. <laughs> Gazza scored four. At the beginning of the game, he got booed onto the field. He got booed every time he touched it. By the end of the game, I promise you, he got a standing ovation. They was, and they were singing Sign Him Up. They was. He, he was yeah. fantastic. I mean, if football was an exhibition match every week, if you wanted someone to entertain the crowd, he had all the skills. It was all Rabonas and the whole thing. Absolutely extraordinary and I was working for the radio in that game and I was in the marble hall with a little microphone trying to get people as they were coming in and George Graham came up the steps and it was the first time he'd been back to Highbury since he'd lost his job and I, there was I I was the person that he spoke to and I said to him so George it's the first time uh, you've been back to Highbury since and then there's this <laughs> horrible moment when I'm looking at him and I can't say it since you left and <laughs> and because uh, all I was saying was, can you say a few words about Paul Merson? Everyone was very happy to chat. And Gazza came over, can you say a few words about Paul Merson? And he was saying what a fantastic lad he was and wonderful football and all the rest of it. And then David Platt came through and I went to, to speak to him and he, and he just wagged his finger in my face. He did one of those index finger wags, like you sometimes see the... Uh, your continental footballers do to the right. ref when they when they don't when they don't think it's a free kick. That stayed with me. <laughs> Alan, you, Alan, <laughs> I could tell. Alan, you might know this. Is it true about David Platt? He's got two voices. He's got his deep. He's got a deep interview voice, and then there's his regular voice, which is meant to be slightly high pitched. I'm sure I heard a story. like Duncan Norwell. Yes, she's <laughs> like you know. Oh. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I, do, I, I, I don't know you. about that. You told me that. I just I heard he had, you know, he has a very serious voice for interviews, you know. And then when he's in the coach, no. it's a bit, well, something else. No, I've never heard that. Um, I was going to say, it was quite interesting, the uh, Merce and Dennis kind of axis. There's a goal, I think we, was did we lose 2-1 to Tottenham that year? But yeah, we did at White Hot Lane. Yeah. Dennis scored a goal and there's Merson put the ball through. It's a really quite a high quality goal. Could those two ever be in the same team? Arson got rid of him pretty quickly. Well, I think the story that Merson tells is that Arson didn't get rid of him. The story Merson says is that he was offered a, and you can uh, hear this story uh, on the rather excellent Quickly Kevin uh, podcast, which is um, Josh Widdicombe's 90s football podcast. If you haven't listened to the episode with Paul Merson being interviewed, go straight to it after you've <laughs> listened to us. Yeah. Um, it's so, but he tells a story on that, that he went to Middlesbrough, Arsenal offered him a four-year contract, but Middlesbrough pretty much doubled his money. They gave him such an enormous contract, and he went up there, Brian Robson was up there, and uh, even though they were in the championship, and he, he, Arsene said to him, why are you going to Middlesbrough? And he told him what he was getting paid. And he says, Arsene said, we don't even give that to Dennis Burke. So that was why he left. He left for the money and uh, he ended up having a great... I mean, he was fantastic for Middlesbrough. He went on to be fantastic for Aston Villa. He's loved everywhere he's played, you know. But, of course, he then subsequently missed out on all those years. But we had Ray Parler on one side and we had... Mark Overmars on the other side and Dennis Bergkamp number 10, so it would have been hard for him to yeah. come on the side, wouldn't it? Anyway, that's the 95-96 season. Remembered. Well done for remembering. Manchester, there was a team called Manchester City who got relegated that year as well. Whatever happened to them? Manchester City, do you remember they? <laughs> Did they get relegated They got year? relegated that year, yeah. That is good knowledge. Mm. I, How hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it, was it the... It was also Keegan loving it. Oh, yes. that season. That was... That's true, yeah. Uh, and Liverpool at the cream suits at, in the FA Cup. The Spice Boys. Yeah, yeah not that I've watched a 10-minute uh, <laughs> season compilation. Review. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah the Spice Boys. Um, yeah, that's it. So the, the league was won by Manchester United. Anyway, moving swiftly on, gentlemen, before we, before we uh, wrap this up, let's do On This Day, May the 8th. Uh, May the 8th is a great day in Arsenal history. I, do, I should point out, uh, listener, that I get most of my information uh, for on this day from a rather excellent blog, um, which I'm trying. To, I'm going to try and find. The, if you go to WoolwichArsenal.co.uk, they have a blog on on, on this day is on there. So it's, uh, there's some people doing some wonderful work for Arsenal history. Uh, let's start with the earliest one, uh, which is 1971. On this day, May the 8th, 1971, Arsenal played Liverpool in the FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium. I'll go to you, Keith, because you can probably remember this. Yes, and I was a kid, I was watching that, and I, I would say that was probably the first time really fell in love with the Arsenal. I hadn't been to many games as a kid back then, but that was the one that done it for me. And, you know, Charlie George, when he scores that goal, that iconic sort of Christ figure when he lays down on the ground. And he said he wasn't trying to do with that pose, it was just the fact that he was knackered. But uh, I've, I've been watching the... Uh, 
you know, the YouTube. So you've got the Kenneth Wollstoneholm BBC commentary. <laughs> the, the YouTube, and then sorry, got, yeah. Uh, and then you've got the... Uh, the uh, Brian, Brian Moore. Moore. And I, I think Brian Moore, once again, nails it for us. He's just, yeah. he just, yeah, and he says, you know, George, you can hit back. Charlie George. Bradford. Oh, Charlie George, you can hit him. Oh, a great goal. Charlie George. Oh, what a fabulous goal by George. And, uh, and of course, George Graham, who got the, allegedly got the equaliser, and it was actually uh, Kelly. Eddie Kelly. Eddie Kelly. Yeah, well, Graham was in there. He claims to have got a touch, but didn't change the direction of the of the thing. Mm. But yeah, but they've gone ahead, hadn't they? An extra time. Steve Holloway beat Bob Wilson at the near post, and Bob Wilson always still shudders at the thought of that goal. But we'd had a few good chances. We'd actually Kennedy had two glorious chances. Uh, Georgie Armstrong had, a, you know, it was a great save by Clements. I think Radford had a few. So it could have been one of those cup finals where we easily had won it. I mean, Liverpool had a few goes as well. I mean, they, they was a, that was where Liverpool were starting to really emerge as a force, you know, and which obviously they did. If Charlie you... George was the hero, right? He was, oh. what, 19 years old. He went to school in Holloway. And uh, uh, the fact that North Bank just loved him, didn't they? His whole attitude, his incredible talent. He had everything about him. He was, you know, as you say, he was a local kid. He'd been on the North Bank, probably been in a few rucks himself. Suddenly he's playing on the pitch. You know what was there not to like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he still he still lives close to the ground now, doesn't he? I think he lives in, yeah. in Canterbury. And does he still wear a bra? <laughs> As the song goes, <laughs> Charlie George, superstar. Was it walks like a woman? Like a woman wears... wears a bra. I think that was originally Georgie Beth, wasn't it? But if your name <laughs> scans, yeah, Charlie <laughs> George is such an, uh, a name from the past. It really is. Yeah. Isn't it? Charlie George just makes you sound like a Londoner from the fifties. Hadn't, yeah. hadn't that been a? Wasn't it a semi-final where we had to play Stoke City? I think quite a few times. Or there, no, there was the penalty, last-minute penalty that Peter Story had to score against Golden Banks. We yeah, two, didn't that get us a draw? Yeah, we were two-one down, literally seconds to go, and the guy handballed it. And then everyone said, "Lucky Arsenal." What do you mean lucky? The ball would have gone into the. We've never been lucky, have we, in any game? No, I mean, you mean the ball would have gone into the back of the net. That's what they. <laughs> if someone had yeah. handled it, there's no luck about that. No luck no. about it. Um, and anyway, we got paid back, didn't we, in 2001 when Stefan Honso punched the ball off the line for Liverpool oh. and robbed us of the FA Cup. No, never mind. Yeah. Well, that was 71, an amazing day and a fabulous goal for Charlie George and uh, and the double. And we go swiftly forward to May the 8th, 1993. Uh, the, well, the Woolwich blog, by the way, has got this one wrong. They say we played Coventry. We played Crystal Palace on that day. And Crystal Palace got relegated on goal difference. And the team that stayed up at their expense was Oldham Athletic. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard the to lactics. Yeah. And this is the first uh, season of the Premier League and Ian Wright scored. Oh, we played Palace also in that season. I don't know if you remember, uh, Keith, we played them in the League Cup. Yes. Two legs, semi-final, and we ended up going to Wembley and beating Sheffield Wednesday. But Wright, he scored four times in four games against Palace and he had to, showed absolutely no mercy even on the day they were going to get relegated. Merson again and Ian Wright is on his way. Wright against his old club, scores against his old club. 
no sentiment, nobody does it better. Nine minutes gone, and for the fourth time in four games this season, Ian Wright scores against the club, who sold him to Arsenal. The rumour has it that when the, the Palace uh, fans believe that he, he celebrated by kissing the badge. If you look at the, at the YouTube, there's no evidence of the badge kissing, but maybe that came at another moment. Also scoring in that game, uh, his first Arsenal goal was Paul Dickoff. Ah, a beautiful little goal thought, it was too, was it? It was a good goal. Yeah. We thought he might be. We thought he might become mm. something, didn't we? He was a kind of furiously angry pocket dynamo. Yeah, he went. He went. And had perhaps did his best work for for Manchester City down the divisions, didn't yeah. he? I remember a playoff final. I think he was involved. He was at Brighton uh, later as well, and never quite came through. Somehow, right, right, he was in the way. There was um, an Eddie McGoldrick miss. In that Crystal Palace game, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yes. I wonder if anyone at the board saw something in him. Maybe they were something happened to distract them at that point. Well, that, it's interesting you mentioned it because there was he was one of several signings when we were really strong. And what a fantastic team we had in '91, and we bought Limpar, and then the signings really went to pieces, didn't they, for a while? John Jensen wasn't great. Stefan Schwartz didn't do much. Then we had Chris Kawamia came in. Glenn Elder wasn't up to much. John Hartson was a decent number nine. But yeah, but that, that was that was always also because after with the George Graham thing and the bung situation, you do look at some of those players that we got very much so and. And a lot of the money was spent on some of those players, and you're going. Oh, you wonder what George. was going on. But George yeah. Graham famously said, well, after we'd signed Burkamp for seven and a half million, he claimed that he was offered him for four and a half. Uh, that, he tried to tell that story as if it, it, it reflected well on him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact, the fact is, George, you didn't sign him, yeah. did you? But we, uh, we went and spent all that money, and uh, and when when Bruce when Bruce Riop turned up, so we beat Palace three 0 on that day on May the eighth, two thousand and two. What happened then? What happened on that day? Can you remember? Uh, uh, I I got on a coach. Where was I going? Oh, man, I went to Manchester. Manchester, oh, that's it. What and, did you uh, see in Manchester? Well, we uh, we were all still buzzing because we'd beaten Chelsea rather memorably in the famous, oh, it's all right, it's only Ray Parler final. Oh. <laughs> Ray Parler scored the greatest ever cup final. Cup final goal, beaten only by Alexis Sanchez in 2015, maybe. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, I do remember I was a little bit matey with Lee Dixon at the time, and he and I said, "You're going to celebrate," and he said, "No, big game Wednesday." And they they didn't celebrate winning the cup. The cup wasn't the last game of the season. We had this fixture, which I think maybe it was a rescheduled fixture. Actually, what, what was the reason for that? Because that's the first time. I think that was the first time ever that the cup final had been played before the the league was over. So. I, I, I don't know. Imp- you feel like it's the broadcasters and yeah, most of Sky, you know, the Premier League and the whole thing. But we went up there. We, we didn't have Thierry Henry. Do you remember that? Henry didn't play. Burkham didn't play. Adams didn't even go up. And we really thought, oh no, we haven't got our best, our best boys up there. But Carnu uh, played and. Sylvain Wiltor played rare, had a rare game up front. He was quite often deployed on a right flank, wasn't he? But yeah, hi ho, Sylvain Wiltor. Hi ho, Sylvain Wiltor. Oh, a mistake by Sylvestre. And here's uh, Wiltor. And Jungberg. He's in again. Pushed out by Bartes. Wiltor. 
Arsenal have scored yet again in the Premiership, and it might just be the most important goal of the lot. I went to the Junction Pub about three hours before the game kicked off because I wanted to get a good spot, and I remember. <laughs> And I remember only three hours. Yeah, yeah only three hours. <laughs> I, and I, had the, I was near the bar next to a pillar, and I remember when Will Todd scored. All you see was just about a thousand uh, plastic pint uh, glasses just go up in the air, just all at once. It was just poetry in motion. It just they all went up in the air, and everyone just got soaked in lager. And, oh. and the place went, it was pandemonium. And then after the game, a TV crew came in and they tried to do interviews with people, but it was hopeless. The poor woman just gave up in the end. Did you go to the parade at the end of that season? I think I went with you. Yeah, I think. Was that the. Um... Yeah, did, were you with me? I was so drunk. I can't yeah. remember. But I, I do know that I had a red streak sprayed on top of my head in common with virtually everybody else on Upper Street. I think 250,000 people with a Freddie Jungberg. Yeah, Red Street. People going around with spray cans, including Harry Kane. Oh, yeah, Fat Harry Kane. He's uh, he's one of our own there, wasn't he, for a little while? Yeah, yeah that was a <laughs> don't. That's a good move. Yeah. Good move by yeah, the by the academy. In him. He doesn't look any good. That's two hundred million. This is what I mean. Who had the straw in his mouth that day? Yeah. Oh, no, I, yeah. that Harry Kane, I don't see any talent there. Better let him go. <laughs> oh, he's back. <laughs> the yokel's back. <laughs> the yokel's is like the two Ronnies. <laughs> the two Ronnies were running the academy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Four candles. <laughs> <laughs> well, they let him go to what He went to Watford, didn't he? He played, played for Watford boys for a bit, and then Watford played against Spurs in a game. Uh, but you know the under 14s or whatever the hell it is and uh, Tottenham took him on then he had several loans anyway yeah it it makes a mockery of it doesn't it really we we should have had him at number 9 but never mind but yeah that day uh, what I remember about that game I was sat in the director's box at Old Trafford this was a fantastic one of the great days of my life and uh, they kept kicking us and kept kicking us and kept kicking us they got four yellow cards in the first half they lost the plot Man United and uh, they did similar tactics that they employed to end our unbeaten run a couple of years later. Only in that game, Mike Riley let them get away with it when they they should have had certainly two red cards in that game: Rio Ferdinand and Ruben Nistelrooy. Yeah, and, uh, and the Neville brothers could could have had six bookings each, but they were getting booked. And I remember jumping up, book him! And then someone said, I heard a Mancunian voice behind me going, "Sit down, Cockney." And I looked round, and there's a whole sea of Manchester United supporters, <laughs> and uh, and I sort of. I had a bit of a laugh with them, and then I realised that Posh and Bex were sitting three rows behind me. Oh. It's funny how, funny how those two faces leap out of the crowd. <laughs> <Yeah. It's> most, <laughs> they really were very, very famous. And, the, and at the end of the game, uh, someone very cleverly had created a Old Trafford champion section banner. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was which they dropped, uh, dropped over the, the, the kind of the wall in the corner there, and that was absolutely fantastic. Then I get on a coach back, travel club coach... And the coach broke down and we had to drive somewhere. I think the lights failed on it. So we were driving and on in the dark. We were going, it doesn't matter. No, you can't miss us. Look at us. You can't miss us. We're a coach. What do we need lead lights for? So we ended up having to go to some coach depot near Coventry and wait for another coach and got back at some stupid time. And it is fantastic to be there. 
But it's never fantastic getting home, as you will well remember, Keith, from getting back from Copenhagen in 1994. Oh, what a mistake. Oh, we should have just stayed. We should have stayed. We should have stayed. How bad could it have been if we just lived in Copenhagen yeah, for the rest not, of our lives? It would have been too shabby, wouldn't it? <laughs> Think of worse places to stay. You can. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure as ever. It was fun. I enjoyed. Indeed. And, uh, yes. Next week's podcast, we're going to start up uh, the Tuesday book club, and uh, the book we'll be uh, reviewing is Dennis, Dennis Burkamp's Stillness and Speed. So, listener, <laughs> do uh, dip in. Do, do, is it that the title? Do dip into that, and re- and we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, lads, thanks a lot. See ya. I was going to say I was in a gay club uh, for the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you, I know, I just thought it might. But, <laughs> should, we, should, should we go back and go, Damien, where were you? Well, I, was in a gay, I was in a gay club, of course. <laughs>